Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hey guys, welcome to episode 34. I am so thrilled that you are here. We are addressing a huge topic today, and that is debt. If you are struggling with debt, it can often feel very lonely. Uh, You feel isolated, you feel frustrated, and it's important first and foremost to know that you are not alone. And we have to address the emotions around debt in order to feel empowered to make a change. And Kate Northrup, the author of the best-selling book, Money, A Love Story, is going to teach us how to do that today. She's also the creator of the Money Love Course, Just because money and love are in the title does not mean that this is some spiritual fluff. We are going through some big changes that you can make, some huge shifts in perspective, some habits you can begin to implement today to make a shift. It is a fun conversation. Kate is so much fun, easy to listen to. She makes all of these steps feel easy to do. And that's what we need right now. We need to have more ease when we're trying to make these really big transitions in our lives. So enjoy this interview. And if you do love it, make sure you spread it. This is an act of love. So spread the love. Enjoy. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. So we are going to be talking about money, and I know it's a topic that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's like you can't even talk about it around the dinner table. There's all this like taboo around it. So I want to start by asking you why you feel like the conversation of money is so uncomfortable for so many people. You know, I think we just have this cultural idea about it because we've wrapped up money to mean things that it doesn't mean. So people associate their self-worth with their net worth. And they think that, you know, how much money they, they have is how much is how worthy they are of a person. Or we also have this, you know, we have these cultural ideas that rich people are greedy or that money is bad or that somehow, you know, having more money means more status means you're a more important person. Like there's just all these things that we put on money that money, money really is neutral. It's Mm -hmm. just a neutral substance. I kind of think of it as fertilizer, whatever you put it on, it grows. And so if somebody is inherently not that great of a person and they have more money, they inevitably have more power because Money, um, money, sex, and and power are all related. They're all related in the second chakra of our bodies. And the second chakra is the energy center around our reproductive organs and lower back. And so money is associated with power. And so the more, you know, and, and then if it touches somebody who's a beautiful, authentic, genuine person, they will have a tendency to expand being beautiful and authentic and wonderful. So, um, I just think that, human beings, we've really intertwined money with some things that, um, and we have ideas about it, emotional ideas about it that are not necessarily true, but they're our own stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's 
why it's such a heated um, kind of volatile topic. Right. Well, you wrote a book called Money, A Love Story. I love that title. Uh, but I know that years before your money wasn't a love story. It was more of like a painful heartache. Can you tell us about uh, how you started to, or why you started to take a close look at your relationship with money? Yeah, well, so I started a business when I was 18 in the direct selling industry. And so I had um, a much higher than a higher than average income um, as a, you know, as a college student. And I just didn't, pay really any attention to it. And whether that's, you know, of course, I could blame all sorts of things and people, the fact that we don't learn about money in school growing up, the fact that, you know, my parents didn't teach me whatever. But really, the reality is I just was unconscious. And I was just like, Oh, I'll just keep making more money. But I then I moved to New York City, which is, you know, one of the world's most expensive cities. And I kept just not paying attention to my money. And before I knew it, because my expenses had increased so much. I was in over $20,000 of credit card debt, um, which at the time in my early 20s was like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I was, I was petrified. I just didn't really know what to do. And I just, I had been raised um, very much in the personal growth spirituality industry. And I had this idea that if I just kind of like did enough affirmations, or if I you know, this idea that if you act as if you have the kind of money that you want, then you'll attract it to you. The And and I had missed the piece about acting as if you have the kind of abundance you want doesn't mean spending as if you have the kind of abundance you want. It just means right. like, acting, right? It means yes. acting prosperously and taking yourself, you know, valuing yourself and asking how would somebody who was smart with money deal with this situation? Um, and so I ended up in a bunch of debt and it was really painful. And I also was in a business partnership with my mom, um, Dr. Christian Northrup, and that we, we went into that business agreement with uh, no really clear agreement and nothing written down on paper. And so I felt really trapped um, and things just were kind of falling apart with that business relationship. And, and then unfortunately, with our personal relationship, things were getting tricky. And so things were, it was bad. <laughs> it was yeah. bad. I mean, it was just, it was a deeply uncomfortable time in my life. Um, and then, I mean, I can sort of tell you that, do you want me to tell you the, and then what happened part or? Well, one, not yet, because I want okay. to, I want to focus on debt. It was bad. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to really make you dig into the bad stuff. No, I just want to take a second to talk about the debt. Uh, that yeah. you had because debt is so increasingly common and yeah. there are a lot of emotions around it. So from your experience and all of the clients that you've worked with, what are some of the the big emotions around debt? The same way that we are talking about emotions around money, but how mm-hmm. does debt impact the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at our life, and how does it impact our actions? Yeah, so for me and and the people I've worked with, Many, many people really feel like debt means that somehow they've screwed up. Like for me, I felt like a failure because I was in debt. I was like, okay, I I was raised in the upper middle class. I went to an Ivy League school. Like I am a smart person. How did this happen? Um, and I just, I felt really bad about myself. And I think that's very common. It's It's thinking that we're somehow a failure and that we've screwed up. And what I've really realized as I've looked at money and looked at the conversation around debt 
is money is a stand-in for what we value. Money, like we we said, it's neutral, but then we overlay it with our own emotions around what we value and what's important to us. And debt is simply you have received something of, of value from someone or a company, and you have not paid back the value yet. So t- when you can really simplify it to that level, it doesn't mean you've screwed up. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's just that there's, a, as I call it, an outstanding invoice for a blessing already received. Right. And I love to reframe the conversation because the more we beat ourselves up, the more we feel like failures, the more we um, you know, really are infusing our life with that self-hatred the worse the situation gets because you're not going to turn around your financial situation from a place of beating yourself up. Just like you're not going to turn around your health or your physical fitness or anything from a place of beating yourself up. And I spent a really long time, well, a, you know, relatively really long time, a couple of years, just basically feeling bad about myself and feeling like if I just could, could get the discipline or could like whip myself into shape, then I could figure this thing out but it turned out that I was approaching it completely from the wrong perspective. I think that's a really important point and something that we have to remind ourselves of because we we do grow up in a culture that teaches us if you really want to change, you need to fight and mm-hmm. put pressure on yourself. And we say work hard, but we, we turn work hard as as a different way of saying beating yourself up, you know, just yeah. feeling like you have to be part of the struggle. And so a lot of people when it comes to debt have a lot of panic and they have this belief, well, if I let go of the panic, it means that I don't care about this. Yes. Debt. It means I'm being irresponsible. I think, oh my gosh, that is such an important insight. And I love the way you articulated that Jess, because yes, it's the same thing like, um, with our bodies, right? If we, I, I've, I've definitely had my own journey, um, with my body and weight and, and there's so much overlap between the conversation around money and around food. Mm-hmm. And um, this idea that like, oh, if I were to let myself relax around food, then suddenly I'll, you know, become obese, right? Like that's, yes. that is a that I have had in the past. And, and same thing with our money. Oh, if I, if I relax a little, if I, if I stop freaking out, then somehow it's, you know, it means I don't care. And the situation is going to get worse. And it doesn't mean to stop paying attention. One of the things I teach is what we put our attention on grows. And so it's not to, you, you, you do absolutely want to put attention on your money, but you want to put loving attention on your money, which is very different than being in a panic. Right. Well, I'd love to go into some of those tips. But before we do that, let's hear the love story part of it. So we we've learned about your debt. How did things turn around for you? So for a couple of years, I was I was aware I had debt. To be honest, I was such an avoider that I didn't even know how much it was because it was separated on a couple different credit cards. And I just kind of paid like slightly more than the minimum balance. And I never had the courage to add it up. I mean, I did eventually, <laughs> but, but for a couple of years I didn't. And so I was just sort of like doing this credit card shuffle and kind of keeping my head just above water. But um, then I basically, it finally got too uncomfortable. You know, I mean, that's the thing is, is we finally have to become uncomfortable enough that we're willing to do something about it. And I realized through um, working with Barbara Stanny, who's been a mentor and a friend, she wrote a book called Overcoming Under Earning 
and a couple of other amazing books. We, we and I had was, her on the show, on the podcast. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, I yeah. love Stanny. I just, she's, I absolutely adore her. So she, um, I was working with her in her course, Overcoming Under Earning, and it was the third time I had taken the course, by the way. So <laughs> if you're listening and you're like, oh, this must have come easy for her or whatever, I really want you to know I was pretty remedial. Like I took the course three times and I had never done any of the work and nothing in my life had changed. It didn't mean it was the course. It was me, obviously. Um, so I was taking the course for the first, third time and I was actually doing the exercises and actually doing the work. And I realized if I could, I was also um, studying at Mama Gina's School of Womanly Arts at the same time with our friend Regina Thomas Howard. And, um, and I was studying this concept of fun and pleasure and how you could get more out of life through fun and pleasure, as opposed to our cultural idea that the only way to get more out of life is through pressure and working hard and beating yourself up. And I realized, wait a second, I have been approaching my money from this perspective of, well, get, you know, get your ass in gear, you know, get it together. What's wrong with you? What if I approached my financial life from a place of love and from a place of acceptance and from a place of okay, if I were to take care of my finances as from like knowing that that's a way I am loving myself and I'm using that as self-care, maybe I could turn it around. And, and that's exactly what happened. I started, um, actually paying attention to my money in the same way. Like I put it in my head and it really was just like, it was a, it was a perspective shift that really shifted everything in my head. I put financial awareness, like in the same category as pedicures. Okay. I eat kale because it's good for me. And I look at my bank account balance because it's good for me. And it's a way that I love myself, not it's good for me, you know, and now I'm going to run three miles and beat myself up because I ate cake. It's, it's good for me. And this is loving. This feels good. And so more empowering. Yeah. I decided to make it feel good. And, um, and I, I, I figured out all the ways that I could actually make financial awareness feel good. And then through that process, I realized I was massively devaluing myself from a business perspective. And I was playing so small and I was really hiding behind my mom and her brand thinking that I wasn't good enough to do it on my own. And that was why, you know, my financial life was not working because when we devalue ourselves, we are not able to call in the value financially and otherwise that we would be able to if we were valuing ourselves and treasuring ourselves. And I saw the ways that I was playing small. And so I ended up, uh, we ended up unraveling our business relationship. Um, We sold the apartment that I lived in that my mom owned. And we basically, I got myself unenmeshed from her financially. And it was so positive, not only for, from a business perspective, but also um, it really saved our personal relationship. Right. And in that, in a state of panic, you don't have the clarity no. to figure out what needs to happen. So yeah. if, if someone feels like they're really identifying with their sto- with your story and they're currently in the place of, of panic, of not really knowing what to do next, how do they begin to make more peace with money? I mean, what's the very first step to help us just feel a little bit better with our situation? Oh, so, you know, when you're in that state of panic, and I was definitely in that state of panic, and I work with people who are the first thing to do, I I believe is really get clarity. Because um, financial avoidance and not really knowing the truth really breeds fear. 
Mm. and it makes the panic worse. So not looking at the truth of your situation is like throwing fertilizer on your panic (laughs) because not knowing the truth, just like, it's like the boogeyman. Like it's like, you think it's going to be in your head. The fear is so much worse of what it actually is. And so I really recommend sitting down, whether it's with a financial advisor or some, you know, a friend or a family member in your life who's loving and also good with money and looking at what do you earn? What are your expenses and what do you owe? And getting the clarity, writing down those numbers on a piece of paper and knowing, okay, this is my reality is when I did this, the reality was like worse than I thought it was going to be, but I didn't actually, but I actually felt better all of a sudden because it literally it made me feel like a superhero. The amount, amount of energy I felt from knowing the truth, I realized, oh my gosh, I have been diffusing my energy and wasting so much energy in trying to avoid the truth Right. <laughs> with the amount of fear I felt around this. And so I really recommend writing down what do you earn, what do you spend, and what do you owe? And then also, what do you have in terms of assets? So whether it's your home, bank accounts, investments, things like that. Um, And knowing those numbers, my friend Marie Forleo says money loves clarity. And it's so true. When you get clear, things begin to shift. And from that place, you know, it's just like if you're in a new city and you're looking for the grocery store and you type it into your Google Maps on your phone your Google Maps can't tell you how to get to the grocery store if it doesn't have your current location. And so you can't go where you, you can't get to where you want to go. It's the very same thing with your money. We, you might have a financial goal, whether it's to be debt free, whether it's to buy a home, whether it's to earn a million dollars. I don't know. I don't know what your goal is, but you can't get there unless you know your current location. And so telling the truth to yourself is the same thing as knowing your current location so that you can actually move forward. Right. So my hope for those who are listening is that they actually schedule the time to do this. Yes. Because it's something that we know we should do. But I think that's one of the reasons you probably say to uh, reach out to a friend or some help. Because when you do that, not only do you have someone to hold your hand, but you're setting the time. You know that you are going to spend the time getting clarity on your current situation. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I really, I needed help. I still need help. Right. (laughs) But you know what? I think that's so great to know that we we're not supposed to go through this journey of life alone. There's nothing wrong with reaching out for help. And even the most financially successful people, they have a team of people that are helping them. And I think that's mm-hmm. important to to realize that we don't have to have this shame of feeling like I should have figured this out on my own. Yeah, there's no way we could have figured this out on our own. I mean, I I don't think anyone is born being smart with money. Right. Yeah. I mean, or understanding taxes. I just bought a house and I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did no one tell me about this property tax and how much it can actually be and how it works? And just, you know, little there's so many little things yep. that you just have to take a deep breath, have an open mind and educate yourself because you're not being taught this in school. You know, and you and you, we have to ask questions. That's what's really yeah. important. When I when I um, talk to people about hiring a financial advisor, you know, working with an accountant, working with a bookkeeper, a lawyer, whoever's on your financial team, it's really important a to interview at least three before you decide on 
on working with one and make sure it's somebody who you feel comfortable asking all your questions. So there's no such thing as a stupid question when it comes to money, because again, nobody was born knowing this stuff. We all had to learn it at some point. And you, you need to work with somebody who feels like you're on the same page with them and you, they work for you. You are not coming to them as like so often we we go into financial meetings feeling really disempowered to begin with. Like we already feel stupid and we're already, you know, feel small and like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so we we shrink. But it's really important when you are working with bankers or lawyers or whatever to walk in from a place of power and know like this person is on my team and I'm the CEO of my financial life. And even if I don't know everything, I'm still the person in power here and ask your questions from that place, no matter how simple they may be. What would you say to someone who no understands the value of having a team, but they're thinking I'm in debt. I don't have the money to spend money on getting help. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. So the thing is, it's a little bit of a perspective shift. So I'm going to, I'm going to make an analogy here. So Mike and I were talking about getting chicken from a farm yesterday. <laughs> Mike is my husband. And we, we, we shop local. We like, like to support the local farms, organic, whatever. And Mike was like, if we drive to Topsom, which is a town 30 minutes away, we can save, you know, like a dollar a pound on chicken. And I was like, okay, that may be true. <laughs> But by the time I drive to Topsom and back and like take the time to shop at the farm, we're talking an hour and a half to a two hour adventure and I've saved maybe $5. So the reason I am telling you that is because time is not like the time money continuum is really important to look at the value of your time. And so what if you're in debt now, but you were to hire a financial advisor for let's say $150 an hour. The speed at which you will get out of debt will be faster when you invest that time because, um, because you got help. So, so getting help sort of exponentially increases the rate at which you can get out of debt and increase your income. So it actually nets out at the end ahead, even though it looks like you're spending money that you don't have. In the end, it, it's like an investment mentality as opposed to a consumption mentality. And you know, I think that way because I'm a business owner. Um, and I do really recommend everybody think of themselves as a business, even if they are an employee, because looking at ourselves in terms of the, the, the value of our time and the reason, like I'm not driving an hour and a half to save a dollar on chicken is the same reason as why if you invest, you know, a little bit to work with somebody like a financial advisor or a financial coach, your, um, the, like the time value of a dollar is higher because let's say it takes you five years to get out of debt as opposed to 10 years to get out of debt. That's an additional five years that you are then able to take that extra money and invest it and grow it and not feel so stressed out. Right. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it's an important point. You talk a lot about the importance of changing our perspective when we're looking at things. When you yep. look at your life, you know, the before and the after, what are some of the biggest perspective shifts that you had around money? So, um, it, well, it really started with a perspective shift around myself and that, and this is true of everyone that I needed to begin to see myself as the source of value and as the source of money, because I realized that if I could add value to somebody's life, 
I could make more money. And before, I think I was seeing my mom and her company as the source, and I didn't have any control over that. So it was, I was really in this catch 22 and many, many people are in this catch 22 where they see their employer as the source, or they see the government as the source, or they see their spouse as the source. And it's a, it's a way we, we give our power away because I, as I said at the beginning, money and power are deeply, deeply interconnected and sex, which is like a whole other conversation. <laughs> but, um, but when we give our power away from an earning perspective or just from a managing our money perspective, we are playing much smaller than we ever have been than we could. And so um, for, for me, that was huge. That's that perspective shift to see, wait, I can be the source of income and I have control over how much I make and how much I spend and how I manage my money. Like I'm the one who's in charge of my life. So it was really like putting on my big girl panties and growing up. Right. Which right. was huge, really huge. And then um, in terms of actually shifting the perspective on money, um, I think it's so important to have a an abundance mentality to know that, for example, I love the phrase my friend Marie shared on her uh, Marie TV, when you spend money to say there's more where that came from, because there really is like as, as broke as, as you may be, or as stressed as you may be, we can all agree that you can always make more money. Like, even if it feels hard or complicated, or you don't know how you, you know, that that's possible, just like the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Like, you know, that there's more money where that came from. Um, as opposed to like time, for example, we know that there's not actually, you can't, you know, there's not more time. So it, it really is a renewable resource. And that's a very important perspective shift because when we believe that it's a renewable resource and that there's more where that came from, that's of course the reality that we create. Right. I'd love to get more clarity on that first concept that you shared about seeing your own value and, and giving your power away. Can you share an example of how that works for someone who does work in a corporate environment? So they do now know that their salary is set. Uh, they want more, but it's very easy to feel like they don't have control. How, how can their mindset shift? Great question. So in that case, I really recommend just inviting and just, just to say to yourself, okay, I am open, even though like, I think this woman, Kate is a crazy person and I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Opening up your mind to the possibility that you could be the source of, of your income and that actually it's, it's not limited is really important just to start there. My students report amazing miracles when they shift their perspective that like, Suddenly they get a check in the mail for $5,000 that they weren't expecting, or somebody decides to pay them back for a loan that they had completely written off and they weren't ever expecting getting paid back, or they get called in for, um, for a raise that was unexpected. Like these things happen all the time. And it's amazing. I, I can't, you know, I can't say it's not exactly like teaching you, you know, a webinar technique or something that I'm like, okay, send these five emails and then you'll get this result. But it is a little bit more in the, in the metaphysical, but it's phenomenal when that, when that shift happens. So it's a, is just to open yourself up and you don't have to say, okay, I believe this, but you could say, I believe that it's possible that that might be true. That would, that's like the amount of power that you could give it. And then what happens is when we shift our minds to say, okay, I could be the source and I am actually in control here. 
things shift in our lives. And the way you can show up in that is being more engaged. So calling the HR department and finding out what exactly is the deal with my 401k and what exactly is the deal with the withholdings on my paycheck? Like make sure that you show up and act as though you're the CEO, you know, you're the CFO of your life, the chief financial officer, so that you actually know what all those numbers mean on your statement and that you're maxing out your 401k, for example, especially if your employer is doing a, you know, a hundred percent match. So things like that are the practical ways that you can show up and act as though you are the CFO of your life and act from that place of power. Become more engaged in the financial conversations in your household is a very, very powerful way. Mike and I have money meetings every single week and we get together and we go over our expenses. We go over what's on the credit cards. We go over, um, you know, our income, we go over whatever, you know, whatever money needs to be transferred, whatever our savings, and we make those deductions. And it's really important to do that and show up for your money as the CFO. Um, and so those are, and even if you're in an employee situation, things will shift energetically when you show up in that way. And what's so cool is when you act more empowered around your money, that energy comes through and when there's a new job opportunity, when there's a new consulting opportunity, when there are new things about, you're exuding the energy of a powerful person who would be capable of doing those things. And so those opportunities come to your doorstep in a way they wouldn't have when you were not acting empowered around your money. Right. I I learned that concept of having those money meetings from you. And I think it's phenomenal. I know you've been doing them for years, but I don't, I don't think it's very common. I don't think people think let's take a moment out every week as a couple to reflect on where we are. Um, I think that's just a, an incredible habit that people can pick up. So I, I want to talk more about habits. Are there Besides the weekly meeting, are there any habits, whether daily or monthly or yearly, that you think are really helpful when it comes to increasing our finances? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that I started out with, because again, I, I was pretty remedial and I needed to start simple with something I could do that was felt easy. So every day I started checking my bank account balance, like in the morning after my morning meditation or my morning routine, I would check my bank account balance and I would spend a second to be in gratitude for what was in there. Now, at this time in my life, sometimes the number was negative because after I stopped using my credit cards, I started going into overdraft all the time on my checking account. So I want you to know I... I did this from a place of like, okay, sometimes the number was negative. So on those days, I spent time giving gratitude for the abundance in my life. So even if the abundance was not in my bank account, I would give gratitude for the fact that I had a roof over my head, um, that, you know, I had like some random condiments in my fridge because the time <laughs> I was living in New York City and that's pretty much what oh, was Oh, I know. Yeah. Pickles. Um, I would give gratitude, you know, for my friends, for the ways that my life felt abundant because the best way to attract what we want in life is to appreciate what we already have and the ways it's already showing up. And I mean, it's a, such a profound perspective shift when we begin to notice the abundance that we already have rather than constantly um, focusing on lack. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing that I love um, sharing with people is to every time you spend money, especially when you spend cash, I mean, 
to put the cash back in your wallet so that it's organized from in numerical order. So the ones, the fives, the tens, the twenties, um, and then all the presidents, if you're in the United States, all the presidents are actually facing the same direction and none of it's crumpled up and all the corners are flat. Um, that to me is such a practical way to demonstrate that you respect your money because money really is an energetic substance. It really, it's a made up thing that just is a stand in for what we value. And so it really is just an energetic thing. And when we demonstrate to money that we respect it and that it has a safe place with us, we will call in more money. And I will tell you, I cannot believe the number of times I have been with a friend who I know is really chaotic around money and is, you know, having difficult get to difficulty financially. And they'll like pull a wad of random money out of their bag or like some torn up, um, you know, threadbare change purse where it's all just kind of like wadded up with the cards and the receipts and the money. It's really amazing to see how people demonstrate really practically how they don't do or do not respect money. Yes. Yeah. You know, what? I, I realized this the other day on a walk. I do this thing where if I see any change on the ground, I have to pick it up. That's like, awesome. And I and I pick it up and I say, thank you for this sign of abundance and thank you for yep. this money. Like I, I take a moment to really appreciate like, wow, I just found five cents. That is money is coming to me, but just getting into that energy. But the other day I saw like a, I saw like a, a quarter on the ground. I was on a walk and my neighbor was there and I was like, I wonder if they're going to think I'm so weird if I like dig through these like pebbles that, you know, like on the side of the road yeah. with the gravel, you know, if I like dig through this gravel to get the quarter and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to get the quarter and I'm going to say, thank you. Good. Because you know what, this is, this is such a, it may, it may sound like a silly story, but it's really important just that you're sharing that you chose your commitment to your own abundance over how you would be perceived in the world. Mm. And that's such a thing that really trips people up as well is being afraid of what will my friends think if I'm financially successful? What if I out earned my parents? You know, what if I get too big, then what will happen? Because it's really common. It's the tall poppy syndrome that or crabs in a bucket that we expand beyond, you know, our childhood friends or beyond our family or beyond what we were raised with. And then we're afraid to even do that because we know that people are going to be like, oh, well, who do you think you are? Or, oh, you know, must be nice for you or whatever is going to come. And it's really important to know that playing small financially or otherwise does not help anybody. It just keeps everyone smaller. And so, Jess, I love that story because it's such a practical example of what you are obviously doing, which is shining your light in the world no matter what. No, oh, thank you. And I think the the other lesson is doing these practices, you know, your friend might even give you a weird look when you're organizing all of your bills to say, you know, to face the same yeah. direction. And, but these are the little things that are important. And I, one of the, the tricky things about strategies that are simple is that people look at them and they think, well, they must not work because there's this belief in the world that in order for something to be powerful, it has to be hard. And I have seen again and again that the most powerful things are the easy things that people are doing consistently. It is so true. It's this idea of the compound effect. It's that mm. small choices over time really amount to a lot. And it's also, to me, our relationship with money is 
really it's about our hearts and it's about our minds and it's about our mindset. And every time that I organize my money in my wallet or every time I stop to pick up a penny because I do the same thing, Jess, I am reprogramming my brain for abundance and for taking great care of my money and to know like I have the conscious thought every time I'm organizing my money that money is safe with me and that I respect it. And so it's the little things we do every day that reprogram us. So then when there's an opportunity to do a bigger thing, our mind is in the right place. Right. Well, Kate, there are a few questions that I like to ask every new guest. But before I go into those, is there a, another habit? I don't want to cut you off with the habits. Is there something else? I know I know you have an entire course, so there's... I do have an entire course. <laughs> I think it's the one that would be like the most helpful for people. Um, well, I also think that paying... like. So this one is my version of paying yourself. You know, we, many of us who have read any personal finance books might have heard the concept of paying yourself first. Um, but I especially recently, so I'm running a, a round of the Money Love course right now, and it was so amazing. Somebody shared that they um, they are in debt, and yet they started to put a little money aside to pay themselves in what's what I call a money for me account. So, so you... This is what I use to reprogram myself to stop spending all the time. I decided to start every time I decided to not spend money and instead save it, I transferred it into a money for me account. And what that did is it reprogrammed me to feel abundant saving money as opposed to feel abundant spending money. Because previously I had always felt like spending money felt really abundant to me and I wanted to rewire that because it wasn't actually creating abundance in my life. And so changing that and putting the money in the money for me account, this woman reported that it was so amazing that she was automatically transferring, like, I think it was $50 a month into her money for me account. And she realized how much more prosperous she felt and how much more, um, prosperous actions she was taking as a result of, of basically valuing herself by paying herself, even though she was in debt. And previously she had thought, well, every single penny I make should be going towards paying off my debt. But instead she created a little space around that and started paying herself and putting it in savings so that she was taking really good, nurturing, loving care of herself. And then she was able to actually begin to pay off the debt faster from that place of feeling personally filled up financially, as opposed to feeling like she was living close to the bone. Right. That is fantastic. Well, since we're on the topic, before we jump into the questions, can you tell us a little bit about your course? Sure. So the Money Love course is um, a course that teaches you how to rewire your brain and heart around money. And then it also teaches how to make more money, how to pay off your debt and live luxuriously no matter what. And then also how to manage your money in a way that really makes you feel masterful. And so those are the four modules of the course. And it's a self-guided online course. And um, it it's based on my book, Money, A Love Story, and then it dives deeper with exercises and insights that are not in the book. Um, and it's all taught via video and audio. And then we have a members only um, community group, which is really awesome as well. Yeah, there's such power in community, isn't it? It's, it's incredible the transformations people make when they decide to do something like this, where they're put in a group. Yeah, it is amazing. And and actually in one of our, um, I mean, amazing things happen in, in this group, but uh, one story is that two women met in the group 
and um, fell in love and actually one moved to another country to be with the other one. So wow. <laughs> a funny love story. It was like a, a true love story. And I, it made me so happy. Oh, that's awesome. So where can people go to learn more about your course? So you can go to the moneylovecourse.com forward slash Jess. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So, all right, well, let's go into these questions. One of the questions I love to ask everyone who's on the show is uh, if they could share something with us that at the time seemed horrible, but ended up becoming a big blessing. Yeah. Um, Oh my God. So many, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so many things. Um, you know what? I'll give the example. So when Mike and I met um, my husband, both of us were not in a particularly empowered place financially. And I really like he had tons of student loan and credit card debt. I had credit card debt. I was in this business relationship with my mom where I felt really trapped. Um, things were not awesome financially. And it was really hard in those first several months of our relationship. Really, I would say actually probably the first year to year and a a half of our relationship was very challenging um, financially because we just got in like fights about money a lot. Um, And it was awful. It just really didn't feel good. Um, And so as a result though, it's ended up being such a blessing because we had to show up with each other and really be financially transparent right from the beginning. And that was so deeply uncomfortable, but led to an amazing relationship romantically and also financially because we set the standard of being financially transparent with one another right from the beginning because Mike and I, our our love story is sort of unusual. We, We didn't really ever date. We just ended up going on a road trip with each other for 10 months. So we were living out of a car and like, just all up in each other's business right from the beginning. And so it was deeply uncomfortable. But in the end, that clarity and that transparency led to having such a strong foundation for creating abundance together because we didn't have any secrets. And we were able to kind of deep dive deep with one another into you know, what was your, what was your life like growing up financially? What did you learn? What were some of the stumbling blocks? What are your desires? What are your goals? And we've been able to, um, build a great financial life together as opposed to, you know, living out my fairy tale situation of like, I'm just going to find some guy who's really wealthy and he'll just pay off all my debt and, you know, take care of it. And I won't even have to worry about it anymore. And if I, if that had happened, I never would have found out what I was made of. And Mike and I never would have created this abundance together, which is so much more satisfying than, you know, somehow having somebody else just like fix it for you. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. And another question is, what is something that no one would know about you unless they went to middle school with you? So like (laughs) middle, middle school, Kate. Oh my God. What a fun question. (laughs) Um, I'm a huge musical theater nerd. I like geek out on Broadway, like nobody's business. (laughs) (laughs) So I've like seen every musical. My deepest desire is to be in a musical again. Um, I did. I was a total theater nerd growing up. So I am really hoping to get Penelope squared away enough so that I can go do some community theater. Oh, and for those who don't know, Penelope's your cute little oh, yeah. daughter. Penelope's my 11 month old baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is, this question is not on the list of things that I commonly ask, but I just, I need to ask you being a new mom what has been one of the biggest lessons you've had to learn? Letting go. Mm. I I just, it is so 
I really, since the moment I went into labor, I have felt so profoundly out of control. <laughs> and, I don't know um, why I'm laughing. But and it's, it is, it's so funny. And, and like, so it's just been so challenging. And like, the more I am willing to let go and be in the moment and listen to my instincts, as opposed to try to like follow a set of rules or listen to somebody else's advice. But if I can really tap in, in the moment and know that like, what I decide to do today might be different than what I did yesterday. And that doesn't matter because it's so constantly changing. And the lack of predictability has definitely been the most challenging thing. And it's been the biggest gift because I've realized what a control freak I have been. And, um, and it's really teaching me to, to flow with life and to open to the gifts of life in a way that I have never experienced before. Oh, that's beautiful. I love how you didn't even hesitate on that. And, and that's a great, <laughs> there's no question. I thought it would be a hard question. I thought you'd have to think about it. No question. Got to let go. But it's, it's true. And, and there's, there's a lot to be said with not just those who have babies, but just how much easier life is when you let go, because there's so much that's unpredictable. And yeah, a baby definitely enhances that to a whole different mm -hmm. level. That's totally. wonderful. All right. Well, my last question for you, Kate, is if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? And I want you to really think about it. Okay. <laughs> you are so funny. It's a good one. Um, what kind of animal would I be and why? I definitely would have to be like a herd creature. I'm going to go with an elephant. And okay. the reason for that is, is because I really love that um, elephants are a matriarchy and they really follow the elder women and they move in tribes and they're also supposed to have tremendous wisdom. So I'm going to go with elephant. I love that. The reason I love this question, I think I think half of my audience loves it and probably the other half thinks I'm weird, but I <laughs> You stick, are weird. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I stick with it because I feel like people with the animal that they love, you're able to see people's values mm, and what so they cherish. True. You know, because and you and you think about Native Americans, they always valued animals and mm. they looked at the traits that, you know, the personality traits. And I think we do that unconsciously. We're attracted to certain animals because they reflect something in us. I love that. It's also a really great dinner party, like icebreaker conversation. Yeah, that's good. We should try it. We're having, I'm seeing Kate this weekend for my bridal shower. So maybe we'll, we'll try it out. We'll, we'll try it out. <laughs> Everyone always says bird. I'm happy you said elephant. I was going to go with bird, but here's the thing. Like I don't really resonate with birds, right? Like I appreciate the fact that they can fly and I almost said bird, but then I was like, I just don't like birds are not my, yeah. Just, I don't resonate with birds. You you want the herd animal. My favorite animal is a gorilla, and they're I I'd want to be a gorilla, and they're they're pack animals. You know, I don't yeah. I don't know like the word for it, but they're it's very much about community and family. Totally, love I love that. that. All right, Kate. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This was fun. Mm -hmm.